Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. The scripture reading this morning will be found in the book of Luke, chapter 9. We will read versions 37 through 45. I will read the first verse, and after you join in with me on the second verse, and continue with me every other verse. That's Luke chapter 9, verses 37 through 45. And it came to pass that on the next day, when they were come down from the hill, much people met him. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is my only child. And lo, a spirit taketh him, and he suddenly cried out, and it teareth him that he formeth again, and bruising him hardly, departed from him. And I besought the disciples to cast him out, and they could not. And Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither, and as he was yet a coming, the devil threw him down and teared him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered every one at all things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, Let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them, that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word, to learn from it, to better become better people. We ask this in our Lord Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I must confess that when I first read this uh, text for this Sunday, I thought, well, it's another demon story. Another exorcism of Jesus where he casts out a demon, and I wondered uh, what new thing could I possibly say about Jesus casting out another demon. Uh, We've encountered quite a number of similar events in our study of Luke's gospel, and at first glance, uh, this one looks just like all the others. There's a demon-possessed man, he's uh, tormented, and Jesus saves the day, casts the demon out. But as I began to study this text more closely and compare it to the parallel accounts, I saw that in this event, the focus really isn't on the demon. Uh, The focus isn't even on uh, Jesus casting out the demon. Obviously, that's a feature of the story, but that's not really Luke's focus. If we were to talk this morning about demon possession and Jesus' authority over demons like we have in the past, that would actually miss the point of the passage. This is a story about faith. Uh, Jesus himself points this out in his rebuke of the twelve apostles when he calls them faithless. The disciples could not cast out the demon because they lacked faith. And the parallel uh, accounts of the story, as we'll see, bring this point out further. Faith is a very important concept in Christianity. It's uh, one of the key words that people use when they speak of Christianity. When we want to talk about our identity as a follower of Jesus, we might even say we are people of faith. And faith really is at the core of what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, Romans 1.17, Paul wrote, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. 
Christians live by faith. It's by faith that we receive the imputed righteousness of Christ. As Paul wrote in a couple chapters later in Romans 3, even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. So we are saved by faith. That is how we become a Christian. That's how we become a part of God's family is through faith in Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we are to live by faith. Uh, Paul said it very simply in the book of 2 Corinthians, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We also understand from Scripture that faith is the only way that we can live our lives in a, in a manner that is pleasing to God. Uh, Hebrews 11 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Uh, faith is a core element of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, at the outset, outset we need to uh, take a minute to define our terms. When we speak of biblical faith, and this isn't just believing that everything will work out okay. Uh, it isn't the power of positive thinking, as if by having faith you can just make something happen. True Christian faith is believing what God has said. Paul makes this clear in Romans 10 when he says by, that uh, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. A lot of people have faith, but their faith is misplaced. Uh, faith is only as good as the object of your faith. I've told the story here before about when I, when I was a, a young kid and I was climbing a tree, I placed my faith in a rotten tree branch and fell about 20 feet into some poison ivy because of it. Uh, faith is only as good as the object of faith. I had faith that that tree would support my weight and my faith didn't work out so well for me. So just having faith isn't really the point. Uh, many people have faith in a lot of things. They have faith that Things will go well in their life, and then things don't go well. It's even possible to have misplaced faith in God. Many Christians think faith in God is like a genie in a bottle. If you just believe that God will give you that promotion at work, you'll have it. If you have faith that God will heal your sickness, it's going to happen. And then you don't get the promotion at work. In fact, you get laid off. Your sickness doesn't get better. In fact, it gets worse. And many people, because of this misunderstanding of faith, become disillusioned with God. Because we have this image of God that is false, and we're placing faith in what we think God should be, instead of placing faith in what God has said. As I've already said, true Christian faith is believing what God has said. God didn't say you would get that promotion at work. It may or may not be his will for you to. And so believing that God will do something he never promised to do is misplaced faith. We should place our faith instead, in, in not just in some idea of God we have in our minds or whatever we think God should do, but what he has clearly said. And so when it comes to faith, we need to first ask, what is it that God has said? And then secondly, do we have faith in that? Do we believe that? Our text today takes place after the transfiguration of Jesus. You remember from our study two weeks ago that uh, Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John up into a mountain to pray, and he was transfigured before them. Uh, and this text takes place either the next day or that evening. Uh, I've mentioned to you before that the Jews count their days a little differently than us. Uh, they're, they're, the next day for them starts in the evening at around 6 p.m. Uh, so if you see in verse 37 when it says it came to pass on the next day, uh, that could very well be in our vernacular the same day. But they were coming down from the, the hill, and much people met him. Verse 38, Behold, a, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, I, I beg thee, look upon my son, for he is mine only child. And lo, a spirit taketh him. And he suddenly crieth out, and it teareth him, that he foameth again, and bruising him, hardly departeth from him. So this man in the crowd calls out to Jesus and begs him to look at his son, who was possessed by a violent demon. 
Uh, The demon sees the boy and made him scream, uh, throws the boy down and causes him to convulse. That's a a better translation of what the King James there calls tearing. I'll give you here the ESV translation says, Behold, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth. It shatters him and will hardly leave him. And so this demon oppressed this boy. And that last phrase there could mean that it hardly ever leaves him alone. Or it could be interpreted, it bruises and beats the boy as it leaves. Both translations are possible. So we see in this description the demon's effect on the boy. The the parallel accounts in Matthew and Mark add some more detail, like the fact that uh, this demon would try to throw the boy into fire and into water, trying to burn him and drown him. This violent demon seemed determined to kill the boy. And you can imagine the burden that this would place on a father. Uh, This is his only son, and he has to protect him somehow from this demon. He's got to keep him away from uh, things that this demon could use to hurt him. And so this was a a constant burden on this father. The father continues in verse 40, saying, I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. So this man had first come to the disciples, the twelve apostles of Jesus, or maybe the nine, because three of them were up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Either way, he comes to a group of the disciples and asks them to cast the demon out of his son. And this makes sense because Jesus had given authority to the 12 apostles to do this. We saw earlier in chapter 9 that uh, Jesus had sent the 12 disciples throughout the cities and the surrounding villages, and one of the things that they did was cast out demons. They were given that authority by Christ. And so it would make sense that uh, this father would bring his boy to the disciples. But they could not cast this demon out. Now this leads to an obvious question, why? Uh, Why is it that that the disciples failed to cast out this demon? They had cast out demons before. Why couldn't they cast this one out? Jesus hints at the answer in his rebuke in Luke when he refers to them as faithless, but it's more explicitly given in Matthew's account, where the disciples asked Jesus this very question. Verse 19 of Matthew 17 says, Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? Verse 20, Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. The disciples lacked faith. They had cast out demons before, but maybe not like this one. This demon was ferocious. They they knew that Jesus had given them the authority to cast out demons, but they couldn't bring themselves to believe that they could cast out this demon. But Jesus says here, if, if you just had a little faith, like a grain of a mustard seed, uh, you could have done it. But it was because of your total lack of faith that you failed. Uh, by the way, moving the mountain there is not meant to be taken literally, as though if you just believe hard enough, a mountain's going to move. Again, we need to remind ourselves that we're talking about faith in what God has said, not just whatever we want to do. And in the first verse of this chapter, Jesus had given them the ability to cast out demons. And here they had no faith in that promised power. If they had just a little faith, it would have happened, but they were completely faithless. Listen to the, uh, the rebuke Jesus gives them in verse 41 of our text. Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. He calls them faithless and perverse, and you can hear the frustration in his words as he says, how long do I have to put up with you? Uh, what, what, what more do I have to do for you to trust me? All the disciples needed to do was trust in what Jesus had told them. Uh, Back to verse 1 of this chapter. 
Luke says that Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils. And the operative word there is all. Uh, They had this power. Again, this is not just them conjuring up faith in order to do something. No, God had told them they could do this. Uh, They had been given this authority over all demons. No matter how violent the demon was, they could have cast it out, but they did not trust in what Jesus had told them. That's why they were called faithless. And so Jesus says, bring the boy to me. You guys failed. You were faithless. You had no confidence in what I had told you. Bring your son to me. And verse 42 says, as he was yet a coming, the devil threw him down and tear him. It caused him to convulse. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father. Jesus casts out the demon and gives the child back to his father. Now, there's a conversation in Mark's account of this event that Luke doesn't include. I want us to look there just briefly, because the disciples were not the only ones lacking faith. Mark 9 says, they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, this is Jesus speaking, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And you can see, even in that statement, this man is struggling to believe. If you can help me, please do. But he doesn't have confidence. This boy had been in this condition since he was a child, and obviously the disciples failed. And so he's beginning to wonder if Jesus could even help him. Verse 23, Jesus says to him, If if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway... The father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Notice the difference here. The disciples were faithless. They had no faith, not even the faith as a grain of a mustard seed. They had none. And Jesus rebuked them for their lack of faith. This man does possess faith in Jesus, but it's wavering faith. He honestly confesses with tears that he believes, but there's also a part of him that doesn't believe. And isn't it a comfort how Jesus treats this man? He doesn't rebuke his wavering faith. He heals the boy and gives him back to his father. Jesus doesn't require that we never have doubts. He doesn't get angry when we struggle sometimes to believe. All that is required is a little faith. That's why he used the comparison, a grain of a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, is all you need. He doesn't get angry when we struggle to believe. And if we honestly confess that we are struggling to fully have faith, he will grow our faith. I wonder as you read the promises of Scripture, how is your faith? Do you believe what God has said? When you read things like God will supply all your needs, do you believe that? When you hear the promise of God that you can resist temptation to sin, do you believe it? When you read about a God of love who cares for you, even though you feel distant from him right now and you feel like he's doing nothing to help you in your suffering, the question is, do you believe what God has said? Jesus rebukes the faithless, but he will work on behalf of the one with wavering faith. And maybe this, word, this man's words are the cry of your heart. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I trust in what you've said, but there's also a part of me that doubts. Will you grow my faith? Verse 43, we see the reaction of the people in the crowd after Jesus cast the demon out of the boy. Verse 43 says they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered... Everyone at all, these, uh, at all things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples. We'll get into that statement in a moment. But first, I just want you to notice, they were amazed at the mighty power of God that was clearly on display in Jesus. No man could do this. Uh, this was not a mere human action. This man was unique. 
And they recognized that Jesus casting this demon out was a glimpse of the power of God at work. Jesus said in chapter 11 of Luke, I with the finger of God cast out devils. And he uses that as an argument that the kingdom of God has come. The casting out of demons during the ministry of Jesus was proof of his divinity. He cast out demons by the finger of God. It was also proof that the kingdom of God had come. This was a sign of the arrival of God's kingdom on earth. I want us to go back in verse 43 now and just look at the last half of that sentence. Uh, They were amazed at the mighty power of God, but while they wondered, everyone at all things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. So right after casting out the demon, uh, the people are all amazed. They're standing there in awe of Jesus. And he immediately says to his disciples, "Uh, listen up, I'm going to die. It seems like an odd transition there. What what is he doing here? He takes the opportunity uh, to once again tell them what they never seem to grasp, that he had come to die and to rise again. And this comes on the heels of them being amazed at the mighty power of God. He's giving them another opportunity to exercise faith. Uh, You've just seen what I did. You know that I'm God. Now believe what God has said. And I'm here to tell you I have come to die and to rise again. Uh, Luke says they did not understand this saying. They were afraid to ask him uh, what he meant by this. Mark's account of uh, of the same story, we have the more full statement of Jesus, which says, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. So again, he clearly tells them, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again. And this is yet another thing the disciples were unwilling or unable uh, to believe. You remember after the death of Christ, they were not looking for the resurrection. Uh, they, they were the last ones expecting that to take place. And even when they heard word that Jesus had risen again, uh, they did not believe until they saw him. As we talk about faith, this is really where we have to get to, because this is the heart of Christianity. Of all the things that God has said we must believe, this is the most essential. Jesus came to earth to die and to rise again, and he did this to pay the penalty for your sin. And saving faith is when you hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection on your behalf, and you believe it. You trust in his death to atone for your sins. Uh, Paul wrote in Romans 5, Therefore, being justified by faith, being declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is faith in the death and resurrection of, of Christ for your justification. That is how you can have peace with God. Whatever you do, don't be faithless concerning the gospel. If your faith is wavering, ask God to strengthen it. I want to ask in closing here, what do we learn about God from this text? That's one question that I I like to ask whenever we study a text of Scripture. What does this teach us about God? I think number one is that God is compassionate. He he cares for this boy. He cares for his father. He delivers the boy back to his father uh, cured. Number two, God is powerful. That was the lesson that the crowd took away as they're standing there in awe of God's power even over this strong demon. God is compassionate, God is powerful, but I think the main lesson is God is trustworthy. If God has said it, you can trust it. I wonder how often we, like the disciples, fail because we lack faith in God. We're either relying on our own power to accomplish a task only God can do, or maybe we're partially leaning on God, but we're also holding on to that railing in case God doesn't work out. We so often don't have complete trust in the, in the power of God. 
And maybe today as we close, you can think of an area in your life in which you're struggling to trust what God has said. We encourage you to ask him to help your faith to grow. Father, I know that each one of us at times in our life feels like this man did. We believe and yet we don't believe. We have a part of us that doubts. We have a part of us that is wavering. We ask God that you would strengthen our faith, that you would grow our faith, that you would help our unbelief, as this man put it. Pray, God, for each one of us that we would live by faith more and more. And of course, that's predicated on the fact that we know what you've said. Our faith is not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And the only way we can know what it is that we can have confidence in is if we read and study and meditate on your word. Pray that each one in this room would study scripture, Lord, that we would be in the word of God so that we can know what you've promised and what you've said to us. And then I pray most of all that you would give us the faith to believe it. As we encounter the hard promises, the things that sometimes don't seem to be lining up with our reality, help us, God, to trust in you and to trust in what you have said. Help our unbelief, help our faith to grow. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.